read from John's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. John 18, beginning at verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. We're looking this morning at probably the most famous conversation in history. A conversation brilliantly recorded by John, who's got all sorts of layers in the way that he presents it to us. We were reminded by Carl last week that in the previous passage, as Jesus is before the high priest, the question that John weaves through it is, who's the real high priest? Caiaphas or Jesus? And in this passage, and as it goes on into chapter 19, John is asking, who's the real king? Who's the person that really has authority? Is it Caesar, as represented by Pilate, the Roman governor? Caesar, who ruled the greatest empire the world, had known the most powerful man on the planet, it seemed? Or is it Jesus, from a backwards village in the north, standing accused of treason for claiming to be the king of the Jews? There's a practical question that's sometimes asked about this passage, and that is, how did John know what was said? And there's an interesting uh, background to it. Back in verse 15, where they go to the, uh, the house of the high priest, John, who's referred to as the often is in this gospel as another disciple, he doesn't plug his own name, is said to be known to the high priest. And he gets entry into the high priest's courtyard for that. Now, how did that happen? Well, John, we know, was a fisherman. 
But he was not a subsistence fisherman, just fishing for a living. He, with his brother James and Zebedee, his father, hired men, probably had several boats. They were a fishing company, if you like. And we know from history that fish for Jerusalem was supplied from Galilee. So you couldn't just pop down to the Barbican and get it. It was shipped in from Galilee. And so the, the bigger fishermen uh, in the north would travel down frequently to Jerusalem, maybe even have a base in Jerusalem. And there is a, a tradition that there's a particular uh, building in Jerusalem which is associated with uh, these people. And um, it would be, in our terms, a sort of the branch office of Zebedee and Sons. And if John was in the habit of coming down to Jerusalem to deliver fish, and maybe delivering to some of the more influential houses, like the high priest's house, like the governor's palace, he may have been known, if not personally to the high priest or the governor, but known to their household. And that's probably what he's referring to earlier. It's interesting that when it says he was known to the high priest, he then talks to a servant and gets admit, admittance into the courtyard. And it could well be that John was known to the, the servants, the, the people who ran the households. So John gets in there to the courtyard of the high priest. He hears what's going on there. He gets into the palace of the, the governor. He hears what is going on. We're not talking about fiction in this conversation. We are talking about first-hand reporting. And out of this conversation, there come three questions, three choices. And the first one that comes out is this, religion or Jesus? That's the choice, religion or Jesus? John is beautifully ironic. He says these religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, but they won't come into Pilate's house because they're afraid of being ritually unclean which would prevent them from eating the Passover. Now, the actual Passover meal had happened the night before. Remember the story of the Last Supper? That was the Passover meal. But the Passover was followed by what was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it went on for the whole week. And the term Passover we use collectively to refer to all the things that happened in that week. In the same way, when we say Easter, we may mean Easter Sunday, or we may mean Good Friday through to Easter Monday. We may even mean the fortnight that the schools have got off. It's a, an elastic term. So the term Passover was elastic. So these Jews, they'd celebrated the main Passover meal. They now wanted to be involved in all the other th things that were happening for this Feast of Unleavened Bread. But they reckoned if they came into Pilate's palace, they would become unclean. Now, there's no actual rule in the Old Testament that says they couldn't go in there. It was all part of their tradition. And they got a kind of, we call it these days, racist understanding of Gentiles. They didn't mix much with Gentiles. And when you don't mix with people, you dream up all sorts of horror stories about what they do. And so the Jews, the Jewish leaders certainly believed that the Gentiles did all sorts of horrifying things in their houses that made their homes unclean. And so these religious leaders are not going to come into Pilate's palace because they might become unclean. They've got no scruples whatsoever about condemning an innocent man. They knew Jesus was no real um, threat. 
but they just wanted to get rid of him because he was a threat to their power and their position. They didn't like people that drew a crowd, that drew anything away from their orthodox teaching. They're quite happy to condemn an innocent man, and yet they don't want to upset God by becoming ritually unclean. It sounds mad, doesn't it? But how often, down through the years, has that been exactly the way Christians have behaved? We have turned our backs on the basic commandments to love God and to love our neighbor in order to fight over details of belief and practice. And it's sadly still true today. It doesn't mean that belief and practice are not important. They are. What you believe shapes the way that you live. It may seem that some of our theological beliefs are a bit obscure and all the rest of it, but the kind of stuff that we've got in our head, what we believe to be true, that affects our whole life, our whole conduct, our whole behavior. And the way that we behave is important. But as Jesus pointed out, we need to focus on bigger principles of love and mercy and grace whilst not neglecting the right belief and the right practice. And where we disagree, we have to learn to disagree disagree agreeably. It happens to a certain extent, but it's still around that we get passionate on things and then we lose our sense of proportion, we lose our love, we lose our willingness to listen to others. So the same question, the same choice is there for us today. What's most important? Religion? Being a good Baptist, if there is such a thing? Religion? Or Jesus. The second choice that comes out of this story. Let's see if I can. That may be better. Um, is politics or Jesus? Now, from history, we know a bit about Pilate, the Roman governor. He was a man who was morally weak. He was constantly changing his opinions and his policies, and he covered that up by being stubborn and brutal. Any groups opposing him were put down with savage ferocity. The Jews hated Pilate. And Pilate hated the Jewish leaders. So the first thing that's happening in this story as they bring this man to him is he's trying to score points off them. What they expect is, we've brought a criminal, you just say the word, we can then get him executed. They expect it to be nodded through for him to sign on the dotted line. But he's not playing their game. What charge have you brought? Charge? We didn't bother about charges. Just sign the bit of paper. No, he's not going to do that. He wants to score points. He wants to put them in their place. And so they explain, and he says, well, you, you deal with it. It's one of your religious things. Ah, but we can't execute people. You do sometimes read in the Gospels about stoning. And stoning was a... a traditional way of putting people to death but at the time of the Roman Empire it was not legal when you, you have the story like the woman taking an adultery and they're proposing to stone her that would have been uh, a criminal offence it wasn't uh, a judicial execution the Jews had no power to execute people only the Romans had it they kept it to themselves and Pilate scores points by making them admit this he's got the power they haven't they don't like saying that Pilate Short one up for me. 
But as the conversation continues, although you've got this trying to score points against the Jewish leaders, you get the sense that Pilate is just more and more disturbed by the person of Jesus himself. He's never quite met a prisoner like this. Some commentators have asked, who's doing the questioning in these verses? Is it Pilate questioning Jesus, or is it Jesus questioning Pilate? Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? That's what they're saying. Is that right? And an answer of yes would technically be an admission of guilt. It's treason to claim to be a king. So Jesus puts the question back to Pilate. Is that your idea? Or are you just parroting what they're saying? What's he doing? He's giving Pilate an opportunity to ask, to find out, to seek. Pilate, do you really want to know? Do you want to find out what God is doing and what God can do for you? Pilate doesn't take it. Am I a Jew? Of course not. Your lot that have got you in this mess. He's not interested in following it up. So Jesus explains his kingship. And he says, yes, I am a king, but it's a very different sort of kingship. Do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6? At the end of that episode, um, John records, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Once his ministry was popular and successful, it would have been very easy for Jesus to have become a revolutionary leader. The Jews desperately wanted someone who could humiliate the Romans and drive them out. They believed that God had promised someone would come and do that. That's what they mean. He's the prophet that's come into the world. He's someone God's promised. And Jesus could have gathered together people, set up an army, attacked the Roman uh, soldiers that were based in Judea. He could have become someone like that. There were others who had tried that. But he didn't. He said, my kingship's different. I have come to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And again, it's an invitation to Pilate. Pilate, you're there. You need to know the truth. Do you want to hear the truth? Do you want to meet the truth? Pilate asks his classic question, what is truth? Is it just a a cynical dismissal? Oh, what's truth? Or is it perhaps something underneath there, a weary plea? Where in this dishonest world, where in this dishonest game of politics can I find truth? And truth is standing there in front of him. They've done some interesting surveys about truth. And uh, they asked people a year or so ago, who do you most trust to tell you the truth? And who do you least trust to tell you the truth? You may be able to guess some of them. The ones we most trust, number one, doctors. Any doctors here? Number two, teachers. Well done, teachers. Number three, judges. Number four, scientists. And number five, I think I could get you to guess for quite a long time before you got to this one. Number five, hairdressers. 
We trust our hairdressers to tell us the truth. Clergy come in at number eight. They've got police and the ordinary person in the street before them. So I said, I said to Ross at the nine o'clock service, you know, tough luck, mate. People are going to believe the average person on Muttley Plain ahead of you. <laughs> but they're up there. All these are high scores. And then, of course, they ask the other question, who don't we trust? Well, I'm not going to ask you to guess who's bottom of the pile because it's really obvious, politicians. They are the people we trust least. We haven't got any MPs present, have we? Um, Above them, and this is where I start to give offence to people because they may well be in the congregation, but it's not my survey. Above politicians just come journalists, estate agents, (laughs) bankers, and builders. They are the people we least trust to tell us the truth. And that same question is being asked today, isn't it? What is truth? We've had all this stuff about fake news on the internet. Personally, I think it's a bit rich of newspapers to accuse somebody else of giving us fake news when you see the rubbish that gets printed. But who do we believe? Our call as Christians, if we are Christians, is to live the life of Jesus so that people see the truth in us. Not that we know the answer to everything, but they see in us Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, truth is not a magic formula that, you you know, if you believe A, B, C, that's it. You know everything there is to know. It's about being in a relation with a person who is the ultimate truth, the ultimate authority, the ultimate reality. And we grow into the truth. So in the politics of the workplace, the politics of the school, the politics of the college, the politics of the home, even the politics of the church, the choice that we have again and again and again is that we're going to play games with people. Are we going to score points with people? Is our ambition to make ourselves look good? Or are we going to seek to try and live the life of Jesus? Politics or Jesus? There's a third choice. Self or Jesus? See, Pilate's now getting a bit desperate. He really wants to release Jesus. He tries to use a custom that they have at Passover when one prisoner gets released. It's your custom. I'm going to do what you want. I'll let Jesus go. No, they cry. We'll have Barabbas. That score one to the Jewish leaders. Pilate must have been really cross at that because Barabbas was what today we would call a terrorist. He'd led an uprising. Pilate fails in his attempt to set Jesus free. He has Jesus flogged in the hope that a brutal punishment but falling short of execution will satisfy Jesus' enemies. He fails. He announces Jesus' innocence. I find no fault in him. You deal with him. Tries to hand him back. And becomes even more alarmed 
when they say that Jesus claims to be the Son of God. For Pilate, that would have meant something very different for the Jews. For the Jewish leaders, to claim to be the Son of God was just straight-out blasphemy. But the Romans were very superstitious people. They believed that all sorts of people might be sons of God. And so Pilate is even more worried. Is this man really something to do with God? Is he really a spiritual being? This is really getting scary. And you get that sense of desperation in chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, he, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews have got a trump card. It's there in chapter 19, verse 12. If you let this man free, you are no friend of Caesar. Rome governed a huge area, and it was hard work keeping that empire stable. They appointed governors, kings, rulers, all sorts of different officials to look after the empire. And they had a certain amount of freedom, but there was one thing they had to do. They had to keep the peace. And the thing that the Roman authorities would not accept is that any of their rulers failed, and there were riots and rebellions and uprisings. That was almost the unforgivable sin. Pilate's not got a good track record so far on that sort of thing. So if these Jewish leaders send a complaint to Rome, as they were entitled to do, that, Jesus, that Pilate was not clamping down hard enough on troublemakers, terrorists, then for Pilate, that was real trouble. And the Jews end this conversation in chapter 19 by speaking words of blasphemy. Here's John's irony again. They're accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And in verse 15 of chapter 19, they blaspheme by saying, we have no king but Caesar. No Jew should ever have said that. God was king above all kings. We have no king but Caesar. And hearing them say it, Pilate gives in. He knows they've defeated him. His job, his position, his life, they're all threatened. He could be called back to Rome, he could be sacked from his job, at a worst extreme, he could be put into prison or even executed for his failures in the job. He's not prepared to risk it. It's more important that he survives than that Jesus survives. And so he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Derek Kibble sums it up very well in his book, The Message of the Cross. Jesus pressed Pilate to make a choice. The surface choice is the one Pilate offered the crowd. Did they want Barabbas or Jesus released, in line with the custom of granting clemency to one prisoner each Passover? The deeper choice is the one with which Jesus, the prisoner, had just confronted Pilate, the judge himself. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Would Pilate listen to the truth Jesus spoke or to the lies the Jewish leaders circulated? Would Pilate side with Jesus or with his enemies? Would Pilate submit to the real king or continue to serve the kingdom of this world? 
the same choice confronts us still today. A good few years ago, in the days when a film was a piece of celluloid wrapped around a reel, which you had to project, we used to show a film uh, in schools and churches which had a string of vox pops in it. And people were being asked in the street, who do you think Jesus is? And there were all the conventional answers. Oh, uh, he never existed. Uh, He was a spaceman from some strange planet. Um, He was... uh, a good man, but nobody in particular. He was uh, just one religious leader amongst many. And then they came to a young woman in the street and they said, who do you think Jesus is? And she said, Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross to save us from our sins. And the interviewer is a bit gobsmacked by this because that's not the sort of answer he's expecting. And he says, well, oh, are you a Christian then? And she says, no, I'm not. If I became a Christian, I'd have to give God complete control of my life and I don't want to do that. He was someone who knew the truth but was not prepared to sacrifice self. You see, following Jesus is not just about getting forgiven. It's not just about finding peace and joy and happiness and purpose in life, although those things are included. It's about accepting Jesus as King, as Lord. About giving him control of who we are what we do and what happens to us whether that takes us to things that we're going to like great success and power and popularity or whether it takes us into situations where life is hard even into persecution and that's the choice that John presents to us who's to be king for Christians the temptation is to make Jesus king to make Jesus lord of some things Okay, Jesus, this is the bit of my life you're involved in. That's the bit. Don't put your nose in there. I do that. I make the decisions. We need to repent of that and bit by bit hand everything over to Jesus. It's not easy. But that's what he calls us to do, to make him Lord. If you're not a Christian, then that's the call that Jesus makes as he made to Pilate. Pilate rejected it. You can reject it. There's an old story that's told of the devil collecting together demons in hell and saying, we need a new strategy. We've got to stop people believing in Jesus. What shall we do? And one demon said, oh, I've got a brilliant thing. Tell them Jesus never existed. And the devil said, no, that won't work. There's too much evidence. They, they know he really existed. And one of them says, Tell them Jesus never rose from the dead. And the devil said, no, that won't work. There's too much evidence. Then if they look at it, they'll find that Jesus rose from the dead. And the third demon said, tell them they can put it off till tomorrow. And the devil said, yes, we've got it. That's the strategy. And Jesus says, will you give your life to me? Will you let me be Lord? Will you let me be king? And we say, no, I'll put it off till tomorrow. I'll do it another time. I'll think about it later. We get involved in religion. We get involved in politics and arguing and discussion and debate and any other thing except saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. If you don't know him, accept him now. I was 18, been to church all my life, went to Sunday school from a very early age, and I prayed. 
God, if you are real, take control of my life. If you don't know him, make that your prayer today. Self or Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that those of us that know you, you will help us more and more to hand over every part of our life to you. And for those of us that don't know you, help us to accept today your lordship, your kingship, that we might serve you for your name's sake. Amen.